0: More aggressive than suspected in free agency, the Seahawks plugged a number of important holes on defense, but they did make one move that left many fans scratching their heads in the secondary. We'll be breaking it all down in our latest installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be back in the saddle again with my co host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks, as always, to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We've got a jam packed mock draft Monday coming your way. We're going to be dissecting six different fan submissions for our latest mock draft Monday. Had some Pretty interesting rules that you had to follow by for this one. So we're looking forward to combing through those mock drafts and critiquing them. And plus, we've got Patricia Train Locked On Giants, joining us to break down one of the newest Seahawks, Julian Love, who signed with the team last week. Without further ado, let's get to our latest episode, which is brought your way by Alderman Football GM. If you've ever trained to becoming an NFL GM and managing your own football franchise, this game is definitely for you. To download a game, just visit alderman-gm.com or look it up in the App Store our listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise when using the promo code Locked On. that's in all caps in the game. Now for your lead story here on your Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. The Seahawks went into free agency with a number of holes to fill in the defensive side of the football. And they certainly made some splashy moves that... Few were expecting, including giving a three-year, $52 million contract to former Broncos defensive tackle Draymond Jones. They plugged in a hole at linebacker, brought back Jaron Reed, the front seven getting to overhaul the Seahawks have been saying they were going to do all along. But there was one move that kind of stunned people, including myself, at least initially coming on Friday, and that was the Seahawks agreeing to terms with former Giants safety Julian Love on a two-year deal worth up to $12 million, and Rob, We know the Seahawks love talented safeties. Just look at their salary cap, more than $34 million allocated to Jamal Adams, Quandre Diggs, and Ryan Neal, just three players in the secondary. Between those three, they are getting elite quarterback money in terms of salary cap. And now they're adding another player to the mix in Julian Love. And that left me scratching my bald head a little bit, wondering what is John Schneider thinking but then if you take a step back and you realize how many games Jamal Adams has missed, the injury he's coming back from, Quandre Diggs now being 30, Ryan Neal still a restricted free agent that has a tender on him, you add all those things together and then you start to realize maybe John Schneider is just thinking a step ahead
1: wisely here. I think that is the case. And I think that Julian Love is a good football player. Um, and and all of the, um, the indication I've had is that the, the Seahawks just thought that Julian Love would sign somewhere else for bigger dollars. And when he was still available in that second wave of free agency, Corbin, even with all of that money allocated to safeties already, I think Seattle just kind of like you want your general manager, John Schneider, to take the approach on draft day they just saw the best player available and thought, hey, this is a guy that can fit some needs. Um, You know, Seattle of course, and their secondary has been an area of concern, even when healthy over the last couple of years. Um, You see, you have a a safety in love here who does have the ability to drop down and play nickel corner. Nickel corner was not quite as well played a season ago as it had been in the past. And then you said it, the, the, the elephant in the room, Jamal Adams and that massive contract and his inability to stay healthy. I think that this is similar to what the Seattle did at the quarterback position. It, Say It it protects you. It it allows you to kind of look over the landscape on draft day and through the rest of free agency and just kind of figure out your best roster. Uh, I don't think that this necessarily means that Jamal Adams is definitely not going to be a Seahawk moving forward. I think that this just gives Seattle, again, some flexibility. And if Jamal Adams, if the Seahawks do feel confident, Jamal Adams is on his way back then I think that this might actually make some sense because I think that the Seahawks might see Love as a possible starting safety and Jamal Adams as a possible conversion more to a little bit of a weak side linebacker role. Anything to get your most dynamic defense on the field, And I think that when you consider the division in which Seattle plays in, um, the dynamic tight ends, the dynamic slot receivers, the dynamic dual threat quarterbacks, that it makes some sense to kind of be going a little bit more to, we talked so much about four, three and three, four. It almost feels like Seattle is doing a little bit more of a three, three, five kind of of a defense here and just getting those five defensive backs on the field at all times. And again, Julian Love with his coverage ability, his ability as an open field tackler as well. I, I just think that this is a, is a a signing that, while surprising, definitely makes some sense as well.
0: Yeah, like I said, when I initially saw the signing, I was thinking, where is he going to fit into this mix? But then, of course, you got to realize Jamal Adams is coming off a torn quad tendon, and there have been a lot of athletes in football basketball you name it sports they've had that injury that have not been the same player when they have come back and that's on top of multiple shoulder surgeries surgeries on his fingers he has been one injury after another since the Seahawks acquired him and it absolutely stinks because we know when he's healthy that he is a dynamic playmaker on defense and the Seahawks are still hoping that they're going to see that player return from this injury my what I have gotten from talking to people since this signing on Friday is that the Seahawks, this is not them saying we are getting ready to move on from Jamal Adams. That is not what I have gathered from this. However, because Love has played more than 500 snaps in the slot, immediately he can give Kobe Bryant competition to play meaningful snaps at that spot. Kobe Bryant had never played there before last year, and even though he improved It was an up-and-down rookie season for him. Love's got a little more size and more physicality to be able to play that spot. And he has similar athletic metrics to what Justin Coleman had coming out of Tennessee. So he can certainly move left to right. His change of direction skills are where they need to be to play that slot corner position. So they can find a place to play him, even if Jamal Adams is healthy and, as you mentioned, If they're going to put in more as a linebacker at this point, and teams are playing 220, 225-pound linebackers, if that's what Jamal Adams is at this point, and he's going to be blitzing more doing that, you're playing to his strengths, and that allows you to still get two other safeties on the field, Quandre Diggs and Julian Love, or if Ryan Neal is one of those safeties. And Love or Neal could still be a player that's going to get an offer sheet from another team. We don't know if that's going to happen yet, but – If another team decides to do that and the Seahawks don't match, then he's gone and they don't get the draft compensation back in return. So this is truly all about having insurance and they're thinking both short term and long term at safety. And Yeah, it might seem like a lot of money, six million per year. That's borderline starter money. But at the same time, I mean, six million dollars a year for a guy that might play. 60% 60% of the snaps playing in a nickel roll. That's still a decent price point for a guy that can make plays on the football can blitz can defend the run can play in the box has some versatility to play in two high even single high safety looks. So they're bringing in a very versatile player at a price point. That's reasonable a lot less than I thought he was going to fetch on the market. And that's probably the biggest reason why John Schneider pounced on it was just the opportunity to get a really good football player at a good price.
1: Yeah, I think so. And I think that uh, again, just, the durability issues for Jamal Adams, the, the advancing age for Quandre Diggs, who, let's face it, is a smaller player who also has had some durability issues, at least earlier in his career. You know, Ryan Neal, we, we talked about it uh, about a week ago. when We were kind of surprised by, by Seattle putting the tender to Ryan Neal, but not one that that gave Seattle the opportunity to to match and get those a, a draft pick as compensation should they lose Ryan Neal. That suggests to me that, that Seattle wants Ryan Neal back, but at the same time, does not so high on him that they chose to ignore some of the other veteran free agents that were available to them, obviously, and here in signing love. So, you know, to me, I think that this, again, just gives Seattle lots of different options. I don't think that it slams the door on anything moving forward. I think that again, what the biggest thing is that it Seattle has obviously prioritized safety throughout the John Schneider and Pete Carroll era, and, and I think that this is again just reprioritizing a position that um, that there, this is not an elite draft class at, at this position. Um, there's a lot of guys that some people believe are safety. some people believe are corners, for example. Julian Love has already proven his ability to play both. And I think that that is basically what it came down to for the Seahawks.
0: Yeah, the thing that we've got to monitor here, and I don't think this is going to happen. I've already stated that I think Jamal Adams, the team, believes in him coming back healthy. But June 1st is the date that we have got to be watching for because I can't see any way the Seahawks would release him with a pre-June 1st designation. But if he is not physically capable to play football again, which – that is an outside chance that maybe that happens because the injury he's coming off of all the other injuries he's had, they could release him with a post June 1st designation and they would get over $8 million in cap space instantly. Now that late in the game, you're not going to be splurging for free agents, but it would give them some flexibility to maybe be able to do some other things with some late way free agents and things of that nature. So I don't think that's going to happen, but that is something to monitor because if they were going to make a move on that front and decide to move on from Jamal Adams, I would think it would have to be a post-June 1st designation to make that happen. Otherwise, they're looking at a huge dead cap hit for this year that's actually going to lose cap space, and they're up against it right now. Don't see that happening. When we come back, it's Mock Draft Monday. We asked you, our lucky listeners, for their fan submissions. We've got several that we're going to be diving into, a very unique Mock Draft Monday here on Locked on Seahawks. We'll dive in and dissect those coming up next. This episode is brought to you by Alderman Football GM. If you have listened to our podcast regularly, you know how much I love the mobile game, Alderman Football GM. If you've ever dreamed of becoming an NFL general manager and managing your own football franchise, your dream can come true. And this game is definitely for you. Manage every strategic aspect of your team, play through the season, lead your team to glory. You're responsible for everything from hiring the right coaches and coordinators, trading players, making draft picks, navigating your franchise through free agency and the draft, and all the ups and downs of the season. All of this in a challenging and realistic game world. If you want to give John Schneider a run for his money running your own franchise, this is the way to go. Ultimate Football GM is completely free. You can play it offline, play as you go, as you want and when you want to. It's a blast, and our listeners should join in the fun in their own league. Locked on Seahawks listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise using the promo code Locked On. That's in all caps in the game store. That's Locked On in all caps. So make sure to check it out today. You can download a game by visiting ultimate-gm.com or look it up on the app store. That's ultimate-gm.com. Ultimate Football GM, start your dynasty today. You're listening to Mock Draft Monday here on the Locked on Seahawks podcast. I'm your host Corbin Smith. Glad as always to be joined by my co-host in crime Rob Rang and a special thanks to all the 12s out there whether you're listening in Pasco Washington or you're listening in Fort Wayne Indiana we greatly appreciate you supporting the podcast all right Rob let's get to mock draft monday we mix it up every week with some different stuff sometimes we look at expert mock drafts sometimes we have our own that we dissect but we like to get our fans involved as well and With the Seahawks being in a prime position coming out of this first week of free agency where they have so many options on the table with two first round picks, we decided to make this a creative exercise. And so this was our proposal this week for our listeners submit a seven-round mock draft, but you cannot pick a quarterback, defensive tackle, or pass rusher, edge rusher with either one of the first-round picks. So quarterbacks, defensive tackles, and edge defenders are off the table. So basically the most popular three positions in Seahawks mock drafts for the last couple of months. You cannot pick any players at those positions, and really it's a wild-card mock draft looking at positions that maybe would surprise people that Seattle would use those first-round picks on and Rob, we had a very tough time doing this, but we picked six submissions from our fans that really jumped out to us, six different ones with different players that were really interesting. And we're going to dive into the thought process. And I know there's one in particular that you were really excited about.
1: Yeah, there was a lot that I was really excited about. And and that's where I would actually kind of start off, Corbin, is, you know, you and I don't disagree very often, but I do have to disagree with one of the things that you just said. I didn't have a hard time at all with this just because there our our listeners do provide us with so many really intriguing options. And, you know, I, I think that. um this idea of doing kind of a wild card mock draft might seem kind of silly to some, because as you said, I mean, the the three most likely scenarios would be the Seattle uses one of those first round picks on an edge rusher, defensive tackle, a quarterback. But let's face it. These are the Seattle Seahawks. This is John Schneider mm-hmm. and Pete Carroll. When do they ever go by the book? You know, so I think that this is kind of a fun exercise here. So, you know, those of you who are watching on YouTube and thank you to those of you watching, thank you very much to those of you who submitted these different mock drafts. But the one that I like the most is the same one that Corbin just was kind enough to put on the screen. And and that started off with Seattle trading down to the number 12 overall selection and selecting one of my favorite wide receivers in this draft class, Jackson Smith and Jigba, a player who I think. Can come into the NFL and be very, very successful immediately. I love his fit with the Seahawks specifically. I, I am not quite as excited about the fit of the guard Osiris Torrance. From Florida. Now I know that he has been projected to the Seahawks by a lot of people out there, a lot of people that I really respect, Corbin. But I just wrote an article for Fox Sports. It's literally going to be posted on Tuesday that breaks down my top 10 favorite offensive linemen, interior offensive lineman in this draft class. So when I really broke down the tape on Osiris Torrance, it scared me a little bit more than I was expecting for a guy who never allowed a single sack over his entire college career. So I like this draft class as it's presented. is getting a wide receiver, Seattle getting an offensive lineman. There, there were some really good defensive players that were uh, projected in, in this mock draft as well. But I just wanted to focus in on those two picks because again, I do think that, that it makes an awful lot of sense. I like the addition of the wide receiver. I like the addition of a big blocker. I just wonder if Seattle doesn't go with a slightly different route, at least when it comes to the offensive line.
0: Yeah, that was one that certainly intrigued me. But the first one that jumped out to me, and I'm not going to lie, there were several mock drafts that had one player in particular on them. But the way that this one unfolded from the first round to the seventh round was the one that really jumped out to me. It was from Seahawker, Spain. And anybody that listens to this podcast knows where I stand on Devin Witherspoon from Illinois. I just love his game. Every time I watched the Illini last year, including – nearly upsetting Michigan late in the season. This guy was smashing running backs and receivers. He was making plays on the football. He was an island on his side. That was a really good Illinois secondary, but he was always the player that jumped out to me. I just love the physicality and the athleticism that you see from him. And him getting selected at number 11, a trade down here, again, in this mock draft. I would be all on board with this, putting him across from Tariq Woolen, two physical corners, long arm, can make plays on the football. I think he would be a perfect fit. We know Seattle typically does not draft corners this early, but this might be an instance where John Schneider and Pete Carroll are willing to do that because they've covered so many bases already in free agency. Now, the other first round pick, I'm going to have to kind of air with what Rob just did with Osiris Torrance, who I'm a little bigger fan of him than what you are, but Dalton Kincaid, the tight end from Utah. One of those joker tight ends that can move all over the place, can create big plays in the passing game. I have some question marks with him as a blocker, and I also have question marks with him staying healthy. Durability has been a big question mark. I really like the prospect. I just don't know that I would touch him with a first-round pick. I might consider it in the second round, especially a team like Seattle where you could use tight ends in 2024 and beyond, but if you're looking for a guy that's instantly going to contribute – He's going to have a tough time doing that with the Titan in Seattle already has, but you always got to be looking ahead in the draft too. And Kincaid has the upside to be a star at the position, especially with his pass catching ability. His durability just scares me a little bit, but still he's been going in first rounds and a lot of these mock drafts and the ceiling may be something that really appeals to teams. And maybe the Seahawks look at him like, hey, that's another guy that can catch passes and and be a game changer that way. I just think 20 is a little bit rich for my liking in that particular draft. But the idea of putting Witherspoon with Woolen gets me really excited because those are two physical, fired up players that really fit the mold that Pete Carroll looks for on the outside at cornerback.
1: Yeah, they, they absolutely do. Witherspoon and Kincaid are, are two players that I really like and, and think that fit in with the Seahawks very well. Um, just really quickly, I, I was going to go back for a moment to that initial mock draft that I mentioned with Jackson Smith and Jigba as the, the Seattle's first selection, then Osiris Torrance. The other three picks were players that, again, I really like. It's one of the reasons why I liked this mock draft. That being the edge rusher, Felix Uzoma um, from Kansas State. We've talked about him a lot. Andrew Voorhees, the guard from USC. I think that's going be pretty rich selection at number 83 overall against you having some different selections here um but he unfortunately uh tore his acl during the the combine workouts and so i think that he is going to fall a little bit on draft day but i love the player. I love, I think that he would be a great addition to Seattle. Just a tough guy. Um, that again would uh, clear up the interior of Seattle's offensive line concerns. And then Bryce Ford Wheaton, the wide receiver out of Western uh Western uh, West Virginia, excuse me, um, you know, dynamic player. I mean, a guy goes up and gets the football. And, and so I, I think that's about right for where he should go. Um, you know, one of the other mock drafts I really like, Corbin, is um one that was turned in by at Gantt. MM64. Um, and he took a very similar approach as to the mock draft that you just broke down. Different players, but still starting off with the cornerback and that being the the corner from Oregon, Christian Gonzalez. And he, in in this case, I shouldn't say he shouldn't presume. um, But our listener at this point had uh, Seattle again, staying at number five overall and selecting that cornerback. Now I think that number five overall is too rich for any of the corners in this class. Even though I love Gonzalez, I love Witherspoon, as you mentioned before. I just like the depth of this cornerback class so much that I think that this would be too rich. But again, having just gone to the Oregon pro day, I can tell you that Gonzalez is a stud, Um, not only in terms of just his athleticism, his, um, you know, his ball skills, but his character as well. People just raved about him about him at the University of Oregon. So I do think that he is somebody who's going to go in the top half of the first round. And then Jordan Addison talked about before with Jackson Smith and Jigba, the wide receiver from Ohio State. Jordan Addison's the exact opposite guy. He's a smaller, slinkier, quicker Kind of a guy. He actually reminds me an awful lot of Tyler Lockett. I think that both he and again Jackson Smith and jigbar are both gonna be stars. They're a couple of my favorite receivers in this class in this class. I think that they make sense. Finally, Mozzie Smith, uh Olu, Oluwatimi, um, the, the big center for Michigan, two Michigan teammates. Again, we talked a lot about how there's so many teammates in this draft class. I think it makes some sense. I love both of those fits for Seattle. Mozzie Smith being that big nose guard, Olu He's he's a powerful guy. He's not quite as dynamic of an athlete. as I think what Seattle might be looking for at the center position, but he is the Remington Award winner. I mean, this is as proven of a center as you're going to get in this draft class, including John Michael Schmitz from Minnesota. Um, And then talk about proven, the quarterback Stetson Bennett, Georgia two-time champion. Um, You know, I mean, Pete Carroll talks so much about the possibility of bringing a point guard in Obviously, if you're going to go with the quarterbacks that Seattle has and Geno Smith and Drew Locke, that still gives you the opportunity to take a quarterback. I think that their contracts allow you to do so. If you're going to wait until day three, my goodness, Stetson Bennett and the rings that he brings, uh, I think that that's something that Seattle would be interested in as well. This has really been
0: a cornerback themed segment because this is a really, really good cornerback class. We've already seen Witherspoon and Gonzalez. And oh, by the way, there's another corner that's dad was a pretty darn good player in the NFL yeah. himself that is going to be in this draft that has a chance to be picked in the top 10. And not surprisingly, a number of our listeners had him at the top of their mock drafts. Now, Gamma M64 actually submitted this one. I mixed up the names on the previous yeah. one. So Sorry. we'll make sure to give credit to the submitter that was due there. I believe it was real EST and eight that submitted the previous one, but gamma M64 was thinking the same way at pick number five. I would agree with you, Rob. I'm not picking any of these corners as much as I love Devin Witherspoon and Joey Porter jr. I'm not picking any of these guys at pick number five, but if I trade down a few spots and I recoup some picks, then yes, I would be willing to draft these guys because they are all studs. Now, Joey Porter jr is probably number three on these three cornerbacks for me, because I don't see the natural ball skills that I see from Devin Witherspoon and Christian Gonzalez. However, I see a guy that is willing to come up and stick people, very physical press corner. He checks off almost every other box that the Seahawks look for at outside corner. And you know the pedigree with his dad being an all-pro linebacker in the league. He knows his football. So he would be a guy that would make a lot of sense to their first-round pick. And at number 20, another receiver, one of my favorites in this class, Zay Flowers from Boston College. A smaller receiver, 185 pounds soaking wet, maybe 180. He is tiny, but he plays bigger than that. A really precise route runner. They can win vertically. He makes contested catches. I see some Tyler Lockett in his game, the way that he plays. And so, you know, that he would love to learn under Tyler Lockett. And oh, by the way, he and Geno Smith worked out together in the spring a few years ago. And so there already would be a built-in connection there. So I love that pick at number 20, adding another really good receiver that I think can make an impact right away for the Seahawks and help them in a number of ways where they really struggle with that third wide receiver. As far as the rest of the draft class, Steve Villa at pick number 37. I think he could play guard or center as a starter pretty quickly. I love that pick. Keanu Benton at pick 51 is one of my favorite defensive tackles in this class. And Dorian Williams, linebacker from Tulane. You want to talk about a guy that plays bigger than he's built. He plays like a 250-pound linebacker. I don't think he lasted a fifth round, but if he does, the Seahawks have a home run selection there at 152. Now, maybe the craziest one that we've got on here, just based on how Seattle drafted a year ago, a tackle going early, that was one that truly piqued your interest from our fan submissions.
1: Yeah, it, it absolutely did. Because, again, we're talking about the wild cards. And, and I think that this mock draft might sound kind of silly to people who don't know how the Seahawks build their team. Um, but if you really kind of peel back the onion a little bit then this one that was submitted by someone I think it is Josh Dahuman um, at Josh Dahuman. Um, anyways his first selection is Pete Skaronski, the, the offensive tackle. Played left tackle at Northwestern. I personally project inside to guard. Obviously with Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas you got to feel pretty good about your offensive tackle positions. I, number five overall for a guard to me is too rich. But I will say, in my opinion at least, Skronsky is the best offensive lineman in this draft class. If that's what you decide that you want to do, hey, I'm all for building up a terrific offensive line. I just personally believe that his best position is left guard, which obviously would mean that you'd be shuffling Seattle's offensive line. I think that Damian Lewis is a good one, and I would hate to be moving him unless you're going to move him to center, which is a whole other podcast that we should have here at some point. Uh, But the other player here, talk about wild cards that um, again, was Suggested or mocked in this case is the Texas running back, B. John Robinson. So, Corbin, can you just imagine Seahawk fans a year after selecting two offensive tackles and a running back, you know, in your first four or five picks that you do the exact same thing all over again, and yet I think that there is a possibility here. Again, I'd be surprised if it's Skaronsky, but I would not be surprised at all if it wound up being some interior offensive lineman. We all know that's an area of concern with Seattle. With the running back situation that they have right now, with Rashad, Todd Travis Homer, both gone, obviously. Uh, I do think that Seattle is going to be investing in at least one draft pick, maybe even two, at running backs this year. And I would not be surprised at all if they go early. If B. John Robinson is available to you at number 20, Corbin, he is so easily the best player available to you. I get that it's a bit of a luxury pick because I think the Ken Walker third is a superstar. But Bijan Robinson is a superstar as well, and he's bigger. He can be that thunder to the lightning attack that Ken Walker III can be. And anybody who watched the Super Bowl knows the Philadelphia Eagles got there based on their ability to rush the passer and their ability to run the ball down every team's throat. Pete Carroll is going to continue to try to run the ball down every team's throat. So, again, I think that the possibility of Seattle going offensive line and running back Within the first two or three selections, maybe even the first round absolutely makes some sense. The edge rusher, Will McDonald, the wide receiver, Michael Wilson for Stanford player. I personally am very, very high on think he's going to go earlier than some are suggesting. Maybe not quite this early. We'll see. And then the big defensive tackle, Jomo from Texas. I think that this mock draft actually makes a lot of sense for the Seahawks.
0: Yeah, I thought that that was one of the better ones that was submitted, although... I think that we would see that, that gif that's on Twitter of Elmo in front of Flames. Yep. That would be Seahawk fans if Bijan Robinson gets picked in the first round, at least most. I know there's some that are saying we should draft him, and so maybe there are some that are pro-running back at that point. But I know a lot of fans would be really upset about that selection. Real quick, the last one that I have on my list of fan submissions from Maine underscore John, this was all about upgrading the offense with skill players. At number 12 trading down, that's the popular trade down in these mock drafts With the Houston Texans moving back up into the top five for a second pick. Quinton Johnston, the wide receiver from TCU, he is built similarly to DK Metcalf, not quite the same athlete, but he is a guy that can take the top off of defenses, has Soft hands, there are occasionally lapses where he has focus drops, but he can create after the catch. If you want to strike fear in opposing secondaries when you already have DK Metcalf, imagine putting Quentin Johnston out there across from him. And then, oh, by the way, Tyler Lockett's in the slot. Good luck to defenses trying to deal with that talent, the receiver position. And then Michael Mayer, I know he didn't test great at the combine, but the guy just plays faster and quicker on a football field than what you're going to see with him running the 40. You're doing three-cone drills. He is just a natural mover at the tight end position, and he is a phenomenal blocker. That is the one tight end that makes sense to me if you're the Seahawks and you're like, you know what, we're going to make this stab right now in round one. Michael Mayer would be that player. And I just love the other picks in this one. Nolan Smith at 33, you get that uber-athletic pass rusher right at the beginning of the second round and a pick you got from the Texans for trading down. You get John Michael Schmitz to be your franchise center four picks later, and then you get Roshan Johnson, the other really good running back from Texas in the fifth round, a guy that is kind of built similar to Chris Carson. Don't know that he is exactly the same style of running back, but he'll run people over and he's got soft hands out of the backfield. So, I actually think that personally would be my favorite draft from top to bottom with the value on day two and just getting some playmakers in round one. You know Geno Smith would be smiling at home with those selections. Coming up next here on our Mock Draft Monday podcast, I'm going to be joined by Patricia Traina of Locked On Giants. The two of us are going to break down Seattle's surprising signing, bringing in Julian Love on a two-year deal. We'll get to that here coming up next on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by FanDuel. We're well past the midway point of the NBA season, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. So just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drained. I'm a big fan of betting on player props, including FanDuel's player parlay builder. For example, tonight, you can bet on Rudy Gobert to score 20 points at plus 310. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout, with a same game parlay so don't miss a chance to get your no sweat first bet up to one thousand dollars in bonus bets when you go to fanduel.com slash locked on that's fanduel.com slash locked on to learn more make every moment more with fanduel an official sports betting partner of the nba Welcome back, 12s. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined today as a special guest on our show, Patricia Traina from Locked On Giants. Patricia, we're going to be breaking down Julian Love, the new safety for the Seahawks. And that is still taking me a little bit to digest because with Quandre Diggs, Jamal Adams, and Ryan Neal already on the roster, I didn't expect the Seahawks were going to be aggressively trying to pursue a safety and free agency. And yet that's what they did signing love to a two year contract. You and I were talking before we got on the show today that you were expecting that love was going to leave, but maybe not to the Seahawks. So why did you feel that way based on the season that he had last year for the playoff bound giants?
2: Yeah, I I think, you know, the giants tried to re-sign Julian love at the bye week and the two sides couldn't agree. So right off the bat, my first inkling was, OK, maybe he values himself a little higher than the Giants do. And then as the season wore on, you know, they got some solid play from Jason Pinnock, who's a the guy they acquired off waivers from the Jets, and Dane Belton, who was a guy that they drafted. So I thought, OK, you know, even though they they were still stayed in touch, you know, you began hearing Joe Shane, the general manager, talk at the Combine saying, you know, that there, there were that they were anticipating having some um, veterans shake loose at safety and free agency. So just all those signs began to point to the direction that Love would be back. And then Love was on uh, Sirius XM Radio, did an interview with uh, with them. And I wrote about this on Giants Country, the site, uh, part of Fan Nation. And basically, he, you could tell that, you know, he was like, look, I'd like to return. But at the same time, you know, money's going to probably drive the decision and I just get the the sense that the Seahawks valued him a little bit more than maybe the Giants were willing to pay.
0: And that's really interesting because, again, as I mentioned – Seattle's got $34 million on the books for this year at the safety position without Julian Love being on the roster. Quandre Diggs, Jamal Adams, and Ryan Neal. So that seemed like the last position that they would be interested in. Signing a player, and yet Jamal Adams, I think, has played like five games the last two years. He has not been healthy, and so they're looking for insurance policies. And Love also provides some interesting flexibility from a position standpoint. So, What is Love bringing to the Seahawks' defense? Obviously, he's played both safety positions, but also has played a lot of snaps in the slot as well.
2: Yeah, when he was here, um, one of the coaches used to refer to him as duct tape because wherever you needed to plug him in, you could. So, yes, he does have that versatility. When he was drafted, he was originally a cornerback at Notre Dame. And then he came here and then they they moved him out of that cornerback spot, the outside cornerback spot, to safety. So he could play both spots. He could play the slot, as you mentioned. He can also uh, contribute on special teams if you need him there as well. But, um, you know, he, he's a very smart player. He's very instinctive, plays the run really well. I mean, deep coverage, you know, hit and miss with him. I don't necessarily think that's his strength, but. You know, if you want a guy playing up in the box, if you want a guy diagnosing plays and blowing up plays in the backfield, this is what he's capable of doing. And he can also do a little blitzing for you if you need him to.
0: And that's going to be a perfect fit for what Seattle's trying to do with their 3-4 defense, especially if Jamal Adams is not ready for the start of the season. And I think that's something that's been lost by some Seahawk fans is that Seattle's hoping Jamal Adams is ready for week one, but a torn quad tendon injury can take more than a year to recover from. It is a significant injury. And so this does give them more insurance, especially with Ryan Neal being a restricted free agent that somebody else could put an offer sheet on. You mentioned you were actually the first person to reach out to me when the news broke about this signing for the Seahawks. And you just simply said the Seahawks got a good one. You mentioned the player on the field, but what else does he bring to the table in terms of intangibles and locker room presence that may have drawn the Seahawks gravitated them to him to give him a two-year deal?
2: Very, very intelligent, very accountable, a wonderful locker room interview. Not, you know, he takes ownership, good or bad. Um, he's a leader. He was, he was a co-captain this past year for the giants. One of the defensive co-captains Um you know, he was also, I think, the player rep for the Giants. So he's very, you know, versatile, both on the field and off the field. And, you know, his story is kind of interesting because when he first came here, he was kind of buried, kind of an afterthought, even after, you know, everybody said, oh, the Giants got a steal in the sky, you know, because where where they drafted him. And it took him, you know, basically a couple of years before he started to really show that he was worthy of of snaps in the defense. And, you know, last year – was his first time as a starter so you know just he grew so much as a leader on and off the field his teammates respected him he was durable for them um so just a really tremendous guy i mean if you're looking at value overall value you guys got a good one
0: yeah i think it's six million dollars per year and that's at max that still seems like a pretty reasonable deal for a guy that's a mid-20s player that still is an ascending talent that just became a starter last year but at the same time, when you have a signing like this with a guy that took several years to get into the starting lineup for a team that, quite frankly, wasn't good until last year, that always leads some to pause a little bit. So what areas of his game were really holding him back those first couple of years? And where do you see him still needing to grow the most to really reach his potential in Seattle?
2: Yeah, I, I wouldn't say there was anything grossly holding him back. I mean, you can make an argument that he doesn't have ideal or elite speed like a Jamal Adams when he's healthy. Um, I think it was just a matter of the coaches and what they were trying to run. I mean, you know, every defensive coordinator says they want to be aggressive, but there are different levels of aggressiveness. And, you know, Patrick Graham ran a different style of aggressiveness as opposed to Wink Martindale. So I I just think, you know, they, it wasn't so much – something holding Julian Love back. I think it was more of a preference for certain guys that maybe Patrick Graham favored. Um, but, you know, Julian Love, like I said, they call them duct tape. So they had him moving all over the place. And they were trying to figure out, I think, where he fit in best in that defense. And, uh, you know, when they had the opening, you know, they decided, okay, you know, we're going to roll with him as uh, our strong safety. We're going to play McKinney as the free safety, but they do flip back and forth, you know, as need be. And, you know, but Julian, you know, it, the speed is probably a concern, which is pro- probably why you don't see him in coverage a whole lot. Um, so you can make that argument if you want to. I, I mean, he's a good tackler, a good hitter, um, you know, a smart player. I mean, at one point he was calling plays for the Giants on defense when McKinney had a missed time with, the, you know, the broken hand injury. So, you know, I, I think it was just more or less circumstances more than anything.
0: And I think that leadership aspect of play calling thing is really interesting because Jordan Brooks, who ran their plays last year with the green dot in his helmet, he might not be ready for the start of the season recovering from a torn ACL. There's been discussion about bringing back Bobby Wagner, but I mean, right now they're missing that guy in the middle that can call play. So maybe Julian Love ends up taking those duties early in the season because of his intelligence. And so that's certainly an interesting factoid for Seahawk fans moving forward. This is going to be a fascinating signing to watch going into 2023 and really, quite frankly, beyond because if Jamal Adams doesn't make it back as the same player or has more injuries, This seems like this is a signing that is catered to finding that starter to replace him down the line. If not, you have the best safety group in the entire NFL with a ton of talent. Thanks, as always, Patricia, for the insight and uh, looking forward to seeing what this season's going to hold for both of our respective teams after making the playoffs in 2023.
2: Yeah, it should be a good one. Thanks for having me, Corbin.
0: As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at RobRang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks on all major podcast platforms and streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up tomorrow, it's Transaction Tuesday. Check out our social media accounts for our latest topic that we're going to be diving into with fan responses, and we'll be taking a look at the greatest needs remaining on Seattle's roster, heading into the next phase of free agency and getting closer to the draft. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Gohawks. Hawks.